Welcome to Man Reads Monday. I am Aaron Ventura. He is Jacob Rush. Let's get to work. Jacob, what are we working through today? So today, at long last, we've arrived at the end of Sierra Wiley's Man of the House. Yes. So we are in chapter 12 uh, called Legacy. Legacy. And this is the thing that you think about as you are you know, getting older, you're thinking, thinking about your legacy. Yep. It's not something so much uh, young men tend to think about. And he talks with, uh, he talks about this um, idea in Socrates. He says, uh, you are going to die. And philosophy, as Socrates said, can be summed up as nothing but preparing for death. And so uh, really living in the light of eternity, uh, being aware that uh, we're not going to be here forever, but we want to try to leave something behind. And what does the Bible say about what kind of legacy we should have? What kind of household uh, we want to leave behind? And he's going to give uh, a few examples, especially focusing on Abraham. So the question we, uh, he's, he's asking here is, what is it that you intend to leave behind? Um, Jacob, maybe we can just talk uh, personally for a moment, since we since we talk impersonally, sure, yeah, uh, right. Um, Just holding things out about, yeah. Well, when you think about your parents or your grandparents, mm. uh, what? How would? How do you think they would answer this question? What did they intend to leave behind? Like, are you uh, waiting for a large windfall inheritance from your dad or your grandparents? Mm. Or I'm trying to or maybe yeah. or you have friends that would have that. Yeah. So I mean, I think about my own, my personal. You know, my grandfather. Um, you know, worked, retired, he's got house, he's got land, and he did some farming for a while, but never anything that was, you know, uh, other than he's got some land, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that, he's alive still. Yes, he's alive still. He's got some land um, and then rents some other land and has some cattle. Um, I guess I've, yeah, putting that question into my mind, I, I've just thought, oh, well, when, when he passes away, maybe we'll get that land. Mm -hmm. um, but... Even my dad just talked about, you know, how interested is he in actually maintaining his his dad's property? Would he just sell it? That sort of thing. Yeah. So it has this sort of, okay, we may be able to liquidate this, mm -hmm. which Wiley talks about yeah. that. And, and Don't liquidate. Right, That's right. the big exactly. takeaway from right. this chapter. But we just sort of solely thinking, you know, because it was its usefulness was only kind of what we thought, you know, he warns against, just having it having a land without it being productive property, yeah. it's really only value is to be sold, at least in the way that my family is thinking about it. My dad, also, he's got a house that he owns outright, mm -hmm. um, and he's put a lot of work into it. But So he has no mortgage. He Yeah, yeah, no mortgage. Wow, so just property taxes, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, is it, either that or he's super close to it, okay. so, which is really great. And really um, rare. Yeah, yeah, and he's worked really hard to, to make it happen. Okay. Um, but, again... With that, you know, there's still he doesn't work from home. He works for um, a company, and so if if he were to leave me that house, if he were to, to pass away in the next five or ten years, uh, yeah, Lord forbid. But then it would be, I would be left with, well, this I've got this property in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, it would be useful for me maybe to rent out. Uh, so that'd be one way to become it would be productive. But yeah, yeah that's immediately off the top of my head where where it kind of stops and ends. Yeah. When you think about what the nature of sin is versus the nature of righteous faith, uh, one of the differences is that sin is short-sighted. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, so, I mean, like, that's what lust is, right? It's It settles for a temporary, short-term, right. cheap pleasure 
at the expense of the long-term one, mm. and it's it's fast food. So, yeah. uh, and, and fast food, there's nothing sinful about fast right, food, right. depending on what you're eating. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some things might be. Uh, I've <laughs> eaten some things that have felt <laughs> sinful after afterwards. I'm like, I should not have eaten that. Right, but uh. but the, the nature of sin is to be short-sighted, and it's interesting, man. Uh, I, I'm just reading this uh, essay uh, by James Jordan. It was actually his master's thesis on slavery. I'm preparing a slavery talk for this this week on, on, on why you should yeah. be a slave. No, no. <laughs> uh, but it, but he talks about how man has this uh, kind of slave impulse and also this master impulse. So he has a slave drive and a master drive where because we're creatures, we we must be ruled by something. And because right. also God has given us the charge of dominion to be co-heirs, co-regents, masters. We in, want in to some rule. Set. Yeah, we yeah. want to rule. And, and we are at war with, when we are at war with God, because we are God's image, we are also at war with ourselves. Mm-hmm. So he goes into kind of the uh, psychology of of man in his sin and how he wants instantaneous gratification. Yeah. And he has this inability to plan for the future. And he actually says that Satan and the principalities and powers who are who are evil, mm. uh, that they, they don't actually have some long term master plan. So yeah. So because a lot of times we think about okay they've been around for a long time yeah they have they know some right. things but he they've says got some stuff in the works yeah, yeah they yeah. have this inability to think long term and the example he cites is the crucifixion of Jesus so they took a short term what they thought was a short term win we kill the Come Messiah. Which actually was their own undoing. They pressed yeah. detonate on their own kingdom when they crucified mm. Christ. Yeah. And, and so he, he, he builds on that. And, and then when you're talking about legacy, legacy is something that I find pretty much, uh, at least in our culture, everyone wants to leave. a. They want to be remembered. Right. So in our culture, whether it's like, you know, a famous athlete, right? He saves up for his kids. He wants to hand something down. And so you have this common grace because we are in the image of God. We, we know that we're going to live forever. Right. Um, and we're trying to re- uh, reckon with that. Now, right. for a lot of people, it's humanistic, right? And it's just about yeah. money and wealth. And, and as Wiley's going to say, because right. or whenever our inherit the thing we pass down is just material it's not virtue mm. it's going to often just be lost within a generation so yeah it's like what he says uh, short sleeves oh, uh, shirt sleeves yeah make, uh oh man oh, <laughs> from shirt sleeves, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves, sleeves in, in three in three yeah. generations so yeah uh, so w- so we have seen this pattern and this is the world pattern kingdoms rise and fall mm. but we are connected to a kingdom that right Jesus says it's going to last forever. And the example he's going to give us is, let, let's look at Abraham. Yeah. He, he built a house that is the greatest house of all time, but he wasn't necessarily the builder. Exactly. There were some other things mixed in. So let's, so let's get into yeah. Abraham. Um, and uh, there is this one really good quote in here. Where, where is it talking about? He says, um, people who aren't free to fail never truly grow up. Right. And, uh, that is one of the blessings and dangers of freedom. And to, and to go back to this discussion on slavery, sla- uh, slavery or being is basically being like a grown-up child. And a child is protected from 
the consequences of their actions. They're restrained kind of in this environment where the parents can control the outcome from, so they, they don't kill themselves. They don't end up in, in prison. Right. But he says, freedom is actually kind of this scary thing. Yeah. And if we have the freedom to fail, if we don't have that freedom to fail, we're never truly going to grow up. And if we think about, we want to... Uh, give something that's not going to be squandered by the next generation. So we try to put in all these, you know, clauses right, in the got will. trusts and, yep. you know, you know, you ha- you must use your inheritance for college. Yeah. Right? And you set up all these fences around the inheritance right. that because we don't trust, you know, ironically, we call it a trust, but yeah. we don't trust yeah. our Because children. we don't trust you. <laughs> yeah. It's in a trust. We trust the trust. Yeah. And, but yeah, it's getting, it's getting exactly the point is if you've got... Um, a household that's not founded on virtue. If you're not training up a child in the way that he should go, yeah. then you're you're failing. Actually, you even if you've got all uh, the material and the and the um, sort of ingredients of the legacy, right? You've got the productive property. You've got the household. You've built the you've built the thing. You've built that house. Yeah. But you've not baptized them babies. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and and you've not trained them up to fear and love the Lord and instill the the value of what you've done. Yeah. Right. Then. You're setting yourself up for it all to evaporate, for it yeah. all to go away. And so uh, it's kind of like there's two things that I think Christ- where Christians tend to get this wrong because we like spiritualize everything. So mm-hmm. a, a lot of Christians I see, and, and I think John Piper would be one example of this, who's like totally afraid of yeah. his of wealth. Yeah, of wealth, and he you know put up all these barriers. And I just think, and you know, one of his sons apostate doesn't right. follow the Lord and you know I don't know all of John Piper's situation sure. but I wonder how much of that pathology in him mm-hmm. for where he's wanting to say like the the risk is too high I don't trust myself mm-hmm. how much of that is like in some ways it seems virtuous right yeah. to say I'm going to like only take a salary at this amount but that seems kind of cowardly yeah, to me, right? It's like if God gives something into your hand, yeah. He's giving you the five talents to invest. Yeah. And, and so uh, we just moved, you helped me move. And we went to a space that is uh, you know, probably Bigger. twice the size yeah. uh, about and it's like, okay, well now there's more bedrooms. Well, now that's more space that I have to clean, right? Now, yeah. you know, it's like I, th- I look no. at my son and I'm like, if I have more of these, that's more diapers I gotta change. That's more. You, you can know, fill the bedrooms with more babies. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like the it's a it's a blessing, but as we said, you know, fruit is heavy. Blessings are heavy, right. and and for us to say no, God, I don't want those, or no, God, I can't handle those. Right. I think is uh, is kind of us saying, God, I'm not. Um, I'm wiser than you right. about what I can handle. And I don't believe you, right? So it's it's an attitude of unbelief. So going to the parable of the talents, the guy who is given one talent, but he goes and buries it, and he says, well, I feared you. I knew that you were a hard master, Yeah. right? Which is an interesting, like, that's an interesting parallel. He says, I knew you were a hard master, sort of reaping what you did not sow. So that yeah. there's, there's almost... You know, this paradox where this hyper-spirituality, this sort of distrust for what God has given you, is actually demonstrating that you think God is a hard master. Yeah, you're projecting onto God something that is not true. And God says, okay, well, I, then I'll treat you that way. And he says, you were wicked. He says, you wicked servant. Like, yeah. <laughs> at the very least, you should have 
like put it in the bank, like gave it to somebody else who would do something with it yeah. instead of sort of siphoning it away, hiding it away. Yeah. Th this conversation reminds me actually when we were back in uh, Solomon Says, right? Remember how we talked about wisdom is like driving a car? Yeah. Um, you know, and you learn to drive a car and there's, you know, that inherent risk in, in driving this huge vehicle. Yeah. Um, you can More crack. deaths by car accident than COVID. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. hashtag, yeah. Yeah, true, yeah. And so you're in this giant dental, dental, metal death, uh, you know, machine, machine yeah. and you could either drive on the road and, you know, use it to take people places and help and serve, or you could run it off the bridge or yeah. run it into people. Yeah. And wisdom is not, so some people say, well, that's scary. I guess I won't learn to drive. Yeah. Right? It's too it's too hard. Oh, well, no, that's not what wisdom does. Wisdom says, okay, how can I learn and how to... And, and you're going to... Yeah, you may get into a fender bender. Right? You may make mistakes. Yeah, and you have insurance for that. Yeah, exactly. You, you have... It, like, in, if you think about what insurance is. It's this expectation that you live in this sinful world where things don't always go as planned and you, and you need to account for that. Um, and, and when you, we're thinking about what we want to hand on, uh, hand off to the next generation, like we said, so if you mis di distrust your children, in some ways you're, you're just proving that you failed as a father. Yeah. Because they're a ref reflection of you. You're responsible for them and thinking in terms of household, in terms of covenant, you're responsible for them. So like, like they reflect you and that would just say that you are actually the person that lacks mm. virtue if they're, if they're mirrors. So Abraham is this example of someone who, who Wiley says he genuinely did live in tents and was always on the move. Yeah. And yet he founded a great house, the greatest that has ever been raised. And he goes on and he, he quotes Genesis 12, uh, God's promise to him. He says, the, the reason that it made Abraham the founder of a great house is that this is a heritable promise. Sorry, Baptists. No, <laughs> sorry. And, and, this is, and this is huge because we've talked about including your wife and children, those people in your household as people who, get, who benefit from being productive. If they, if they don't have skin in the game, why should they contribute? And, and one of the reasons why so, whether it's Muslims, Jews, or Christians all claim Abraham as father, it's because... It's not because uh, Abraham has like a bunch of like a bank account that we can just withdraw on. Like here's my yeah. Abraham black card or something. <laughs> but it's because we we all know that God's blessing yes rests upon Abraham and his offspring, and, and we believe yeah in Christ yep. we we have those blessings, and uh, uh, he he gives this example of Abraham today uh, where he says let's say you've managed to become financially independent you're 60 years old you've been married to the same woman your entire adult life and you have three grown children you own a small business with a few employees let's say 10 and one of them happens to be one of your sons your wife also works in the office as the office manager you have a little income producing real estate on the side one of those is the small commercial property that houses your business along with with some surplus space that you lease out to a couple of other small businesses Along with these things, you own your house free and clear, and you have a couple of hundred grand tied up in mutual funds. On the debt side, you've got a couple small mortgages. Your net worth is somewhere around $3 million, not too shabby. And he, this, this line right. is great. He says, the scenario I've just outlined is pretty much within the reach of many young men in the Western world. <laughs> and you read that and you think, okay, 60 years old, so I've got, you know, I'm halfway, I'm halfway there. Scary, yeah. scary thought. 
And you think, okay, what would it take to actually get there? He says, well, you'd have to put your mind to it. It would mean managing your affair, affairs well, staying put, starting a business. Remember, we talked about staying put. You'd have to kind of build up that that capital locally, starting a business of some kind fairly early, taking calculated calculated risks, and above all, having a thrifty and supportive wife. Remove any of those things, and the chance of getting to this point gets less likely. Yeah. So when we're talking about the kind of monetary, productive property sides of, if you're trying to be like Abraham today, hmm. he's saying this this can happen, but you're going to need persistence, frugality, courage, and lots of common sense. Hmm. And then there's certain factors, of course, you can't control, like your health or the economy and so forth. But he says most people could could do that. However, even if you do that and you hand it off to children who are not virtuous, who you've mm. not trained to do that, then you haven't done your job as the head of the house. He said, he says, if you've truly done your job as the head of the house, you should have gotten a point across by the time your kids are grown. This is the big sign. Productive property is precious. Right. All right. So this is part of the the training, the wisdom, the virtue that, that Wiley is saying, you need to hand hand on to the next generation. Yeah. And when you look at the the blessings to Abraham, it is land, right? I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to make your offspring like the stars. It's it's numerical, it's physical, it's real. And, and a lot of Christians just spiritualize these to be like it's it's heaven, it's this, and Salvation. it is. And then and then you have them not actually t- do anything. Right. To, so maybe Christians give some kind of like Christian heritage to their children, right. and and that's great. Yeah, you give them a Christian education, you train them in the in the gospel. But if you have not, if you have zero productive property to hand off to them, right? Well, what have you been doing in your dominion task, just as a creature under God? Yep. In, in some sense, you could say. I mean, there's all sorts of exceptions to this. Why you right. you could not, but. In general, if you're doing these things that Wiley says, like God blesses, uh, you know, a man who's skilled in his labor will stand before kings. Yeah. This is just kind of like a proverbial truth. Um, any, any thoughts on this? Well, yeah, just and it, just to tie back to the point we made, he makes here, because um, one of the, the proof in the pudding would be, say this guy who he describes dies, and his son sort of inherits all of this wealth, and then the first thing he does is he sells sells yeah. right he sells a business to somebody else he sell he sells a real estate property and just sort of like smog the dragon has a big pile of cash yeah. uh, and, his, and his point to say uh, he says this at the end of the section if your children have seen you in action and have gotten the message they should be open to holding on to the assets and developing a plan that would help them do that and, and it gets back to i think even your comment earlier about um the temptation of the shortcut, right? Or the yeah. te- um, sin being this uh, short-sighted yeah. pleasure. I want to cash it out. Right. And it, yeah, it's like, I'm just going to cash it in and maybe even for a, ostensibly good reasons, right? So I, as this thing that I want to pay for, you know, I want to pay for my kid's ex- education, X, Y, Z. But the problem is it uh, it signifies an impatience. And, and it also signifies a short-sightedness that, again, um, imagine taking all that, which is where Wiley is going to go, and then it going to the next generation and growing and growing and growing. So it's having that imagination mm-hmm. that spans not simply just for your lifetime and then the next generation, but to a thousand. Yeah. And you got to think about, and, and he's saying that's where we need more than simply just a 
uh, sort of a dollar sign in our mind. We need faith, we need patience, and we need um, to see this bigger picture. Yeah, and when you think about a wealth, so the Bible has a lot to say about wealth, about money, and, and it says every, everything belongs to God. And God can curse someone by making them rich. He can destroy them. And he can also bless people by giving giving them what they need. And uh, I forget which proverb it is, but it's like wealth gotten hastily right. uh, leads to ruin. It, right? It actually yeah. can, can destroy you. And you see this with when people win the lottery or whatever. Right. And you think, okay, how would you? Like, in some ways... Like what Biggie says, more money, more, more problems is, is true. When you have a lot of money, it, it requires, like the stakes are higher about uh, losing it or someone, the kinds of ruin they could do yeah. with millions of dollars is far more damage than they could do if they only had $100. Right. Right. It's just like, yeah. Uh, $100 and like... Uh, versus spread out into these things that have staying power, like a business and like yeah. real estate, right? So you've got a million dollars in a bank. What happens if the bank goes up in flames, or right? The banks that are too well, big. FDIC up to two hundred fifty k. We'll cover. We'll cover it. But. Well, when the civil war happens, we'll see what happens with yeah, you know. The it's, United, all, it's all goes into Bitcoin or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when the United States turns in on itself, and the F, yeah, but but yeah, exactly your point. It's like you've got this pile of cash that's not diversified into these flesh and blood institutions, somebody could steal it all, right? Or you could, in a split second decision, use it all up. Yeah, you can you can ruin yourself. And uh, I think it's a hard question. I mean, I don't have like millions of dollars to try to hand on oh, to, my kid, to my kids right now. Uh, so- Not yet. Uh, but I think about like, if that were the case, I don't. I really don't know quite what I would do. Yeah. You know, and, and so like God has not put me in that position, and I'm not ready for that yet. I'm just frankly not ready to handle that kind of wealth. I have a lot to learn, and, and that's part of it. Is you're building, you're you're learning things along the way, mm. and and what I what I really like about this kind of. Um, he has a section called "Fighting Fire with Fire," and this is kind of a way of getting around some of the tax. Uh, situation there. So, uh, what probably the most evil thing? One, okay, I'm overstating the case. <laughs> One of the most evil things in our economy is the inheritance tax, which yeah. is in some cases like 40 percent or more, which is crazy. So it's, it's like theft. Uh, this is where taxation is theft. Yeah, is and, really, and this really is where crazy. it's like it's genuinely evil because they're trying to distribute it amongst people who have not been productive, right? That that, and then he says that's what these kind of welfare and entitlement programs are. It's taking from those who are productive and it's subsidizing those who are who are not productive. And right. so he, he has this kind of little workaround, which I, I, I need to think about some more. Yeah. And, he, and he does give this kind of as a, as a thought experiment. But he says, we need to think about incorporating our household. So uh, mm -hmm. this is assuming you have some kind of business that yep. you're running out of your household or that, that is productive, yep. incorporating it. And then you are the managing member of that corporation, this, yep. limit, this LLC. And uh, what I like about this is that if you're bringing your children, let's say you have a son or so, you know, they're working, they're participating in it. It's kind of like if you are uh, starting out as the janitor 
in a restaurant and then you are, you're a line cook you're washing the dishes and mm-hmm. then maybe you're learning about front of the house and the bar and then and then you you learned how to cook all the dishes and then the manager's like all right let me teach you how to do ordering right this is the whole thing you got to know when to order what in what season so it gets there on time at the best price and then you got to make your like it's yeah. actually pretty yeah. complicated to manage, to, yeah. to manage a, a kitchen a restaurant and then also to hire and fire people you want to like that's a big thing that not a lot of people know how to do right which you have to be able to do if you are running a company and so by including your your children or your heirs whoever they are going to be in the in the productivity and fruitfulness of the household in some ways even if let's say they're going to get it all when you die how could you prevent prevent that event from being the thing in proverbs where it's wealth gained hastily Mm. right now it's not ill-gotten gain or anything like that sure but how can they be ready for it well there needs to be time watching you apprenticing you learning the ins and outs of the business so that when you hand it off to them they're not tempted to liquidate it right because they genuinely see and hopefully have a love for whatever it is that you're you're doing making the widget or whatever it is yeah it just reminded me of like you know we have this uh, stereotype of this of the inheritance right of the you know the guy who's a billionaire in a mansion and it's typically British right there's yeah. some like posh British um, yeah. all the Jane Austen yeah, yeah. ones are all about like guy, a big guy gets rich or yeah, yeah. some inheritance suddenly happens yeah because so he you know his dad was a duke or maybe you know even if a businessman and then but his father sheltered him or you know just abdicated his responsibility yeah. um, from bringing him into his life into his productive household and it yeah. really wasn't a productive household right it was sort of like his father had his sort of a separate corporate household and kept his son out of it he treated yeah. his son like he was not a part of it and and that's our stereotype of the inheritance kind of idea is like and why even our culture rails against it like oh he didn't work for it for a day in his life it was like yeah and there's there's a certain sense in which you should kind of despise that right yeah. um, even though we would say it's a blessing to receive from your parents and you should yeah. not feel ashamed if your parents pay for your college yeah. like that's a little, little silver spoon in your yeah <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah that, that was the pejorative when i was growing up silver yeah, so, spoon <laughs> yeah i love that born with a silver spoon in your mouth I've never heard that. Wait, really? Yeah. Okay. That's great. Um, but that's our. That's, that's our, what the <laughs> the bougie, the, <laughs> the, the proletariat, and the bourgeoisie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we have that you know stereotype, and and we rail against it. But I think what you're saying is absolutely right, and that's exactly what what Wiley's saying is like, don't wait until you're till you die to bring your child in on what you're working on. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Yeah, jumping to page uh, 130, I thought this is a really good question uh, for us to ponder. He says, maybe we should stop asking our kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Instead, we might ask them, what do you want to depend on the rest of your life? The first question conceals dependency, the second, freedom. Hmm. And uh, I think that's a, a good way of framing reality and revealing to us kind of what he's been getting at in this whole um, this whole book, this idea that you either are someone who owns productive property mm. or works for someone who does. Right. Right. I, like I love that line that I forget what chapter it was in, but it really is that simple. And and um, you know when God says to Israel, 
Um, I will make you the head and not the tail. You will lend to many nations. You will, uh, you know, mm. nations will um, come to you for help. It's right. like, are you the one providing shelter that the nations are coming to, that people are flocking to? Right. Well, you have, uh, that. there's like an evangelistic function yeah. to that that's completely different if you're the one going, if, if we were all as Christians going to the Muslims for charity or going to the secularists for charity or going to the government for, for charity, which we are, right? That's what yeah. our, our social security and welfare programs are. It totally diminishes our witness and our cultural and political influence. Mm. The person who owns stuff has that political and cultural influence at a level that no one else no one else does right and and that they're aspiring to yeah. and that's one of the functions uh, one of the blessings that God has for his people mm. par- par- part of the Abrahamic blessing and it's also the curse yeah. if if a if a uh, people is disobedient then God says I'm going to make you the tail you guys are going to be in debt you are going to be the one doing the borrowing instead of the lending. Yeah. And in one sense, you want to be able to say, well, well, first, he, he quotes this verse that we've uh, we've talked a lot already uh, from Micah 4.4. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree and with no one to make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And in one sense, you want to say, even if you are, you know, you know, you don't own property and you are sort of impoverished or whatever, that your providence has been hard, you still have to fear the Lord and you still need to stand up against, you know, injustice and evil. But at the same time, um, this is promise of who is the most free to serve God with all his heart, all his mind and all of his strength. Who has the most sort of um, uh, open mic and platform to say exactly the right thing and put his money where his mouth is yeah. well it's the guy who's got all his money and yeah. it isn't and it, it's not strings attached to all these all these other things like you're saying to social security or to the government or even you know in uh, to his uh, vocation his job yeah um that man is the one who the lord is able to use mightily because he can go in there and wield that weight yeah. and, and like our example from job break the jaw of the oppressor yep yeah, it's easier to do that when you know that your family is taken care of right. and that you're, like, you're not risking you're, that. Yeah, when you're running the calculus, if if you own your stuff, right, if no one can, like, they can try to boycott you and they can do all sorts of stuff like that. But you want to build into what, you know, Nassim Taleb would talk about, that anti-fragility yeah. into your household. Uh also, I want, he talks next about what is the future of the household, and he talks about the barbell, which is, if you've read uh, Anti-Fragile, the barbell's all up in there. And he says, here's my prediction for what it's worth. And this is a, a great way to end the book, right? Let's talk about, um, you know, speculating about the future. He says, a barbell is forming. On one side are local economies. These are functional households, among other things. And on the other side is a borderless global marketplace. It's the stuff in the middle that is getting thin. As the costs of small-scale production come down and access to global markets opens up for the little guy, the advantages of economies of scale and propriety distribution systems go away. Small, nimble producers of highly customized goods are already thriving. This phenomenon, along with new ways to access capital and the collapse of social insurance, will lead to a revival of relatively small, voluntary mutual aid associations. In such a world, the household economy is viable again. It may even be necessary. Mm -hmm. So, I want to end 
talking about this. Okay. Okay. And, and he, he does talk about like children and aged parents, arranging marriage, arranging oh. marriage, stuff like that. Yeah, Jacob, we, we, get, we can get on to this. Um, <laughs> hey, Wiley. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, yeah, the, the general takeaway here is, yeah, you as the father are meant to be providing right. for your children the things they need to take care of you in your old yep. age. So, yep, yeah, yep, yep. do that stuff. But, but this is this is an interesting thing. Yeah. To talk yep, about. Yep. Um, Amazon is this, you know, conglomerate, huge thing. I mean, who knows how many companies they've bought and stuff that, that I don't know about. But think about what Amazon is doing right now. So uh, you can be, let's say you produce whatever, mm-hmm. you know, really cool you know, pocket knives or something. Ooh. Okay, niche pocket knives. So, so right now, if you if you are just like in your you're you're in Idaho, uh, you know you don't have access, and maybe everyone in Idaho already has pocket knives or guns or whatever. But you want to sell your pocket knives, you can sell them how many different ways? Locally, you know, for little markets. You can go online. You can sort of hook up with a large retailer. Like, yeah. So like the the like. Possibilities are almost endless right yeah. now. So uh, I'll just go through the ones I can think of off the top of my head. So yeah, you could go to like a local farmer's market. Mm-hmm. You could sell on like Facebook Marketplace. You mm. could sell on Craigslist or something like that. Although I feel like Facebook Marketplace is now like the better place. And it, I mean, least likely to get killed in an alley if you use Facebook Marketplace. Yeah, that's what, that's what it seems like. I can look up their profile first, which is <laughs> a big upside. Right. Um, but you can also, like, you could never offer two-day shipping mm-hmm. to your customers. You know, maybe you do that locally and you're the one driving to deliver the <laughs> right. pocket knife. Yeah. But now you can become a Amazon, I forget what, there's a, there's a name. Retailer maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, they have, it, they have this huge warehousing network. So Amazon is a logistics company. That's yep. how, that's what they are. And they're, they're crushing it. They're killing the game from when they first started with little books. Like that's what their yeah. thing was books. And now it's everything. So they're the kind of the one-stop shop. So, so, but the way they're able to do that is by uh, having all these other smaller companies and and you know household businesses who actually can sell their stuff, and and what you are get you're exchanging some yeah. por- for them to be the middleman, your distributor. You're giving up some portion, and you can determine is the cost for me to do that. Is it worth it? Right. How do I need to build that into my product? But now someone on the complete other side of the country can buy your little pocket knife and get it in two days. Yep. Because and then tell of this their new friends phenomenon. in their local town, like, yeah. hey, check out this pocket knife. Go on it. And so you've just, in certain ways, doubled, maybe even quadrupled. I mean, yeah, your market. Yeah. And if you think about, what, so when I was growing up, that was not possible. Yeah. Right. You would have to tr- like the gatekeepers of what was in the big box stores at Macy's or Bon Marche, I think it was, once <laughs> once upon a time. Or, you know, Never heard of that. Yeah, these stores. Okay, yeah, see, yeah. man, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> back, back in the day, it was called Bon Marche before it was Macy's. They, they've had an, a, bu- a bunch of different... Um, okay, sorry, I digress. Yeah, <laughs> anyways, so there used to be gatekeepers. Think yes. about even what's happened with, like, in the music industry. So you had to, like, get signed by a big record label, and there was a few big ones, like, you know, Interscope or Atlantic Records or Def Jam or whatever. And then they would be the ones with the big machine to push you mm. to be on it. And then now you got kids who are like, they record a phone, a, a, you <laughs> Check know, out my a, SoundCloud. a song <laughs> on, yeah, on, on their iPhone or something and it mm. goes viral. And, and now the thing that's messed up about the music industry is 
the streaming services have diluted right. the price of a song. Uh, that's uh, the nice thing is when I look at books, that hasn't happened to books, and I don't think it. I I, I was thinking, could that happen to books? Because they're trying to do kind of little like subscription right. services now for books. But I think books are different than music. Now I'm just on a whole yeah. other, other topic. Um, but but there's things like that, whether you yep. were streaming movies on Netflix and it matters less about going, you know, going to the movies. The turnaround time is a lot shorter. Mm. So the reason why I wanted to end on this is because we're all hopefully coming to the end. So a few of us are thinking about, we're, none of us are 60 that are probably listening to this podcast right now. And yeah. if you are, God God bless you. But most of us are thinking about what can we do yes. to get there in 30, 40, 50 years? What can we have to hand on? And and I want you to think about this future because I think he's right. Uh, in some ways, I don't think this is much of a prediction. I think this is pretty much already how it is. Mm. And how can we be taking advantage of, of these opportunities? What kinds of things can we get started on now to start building for for the future? And think about what's the next thing. So we have uh, uh, people thinking about kind of in our circles, okay, is there like a Christian version of streaming that doesn't have the basically pornography, right, <laughs> child right, pornography right. on Netflix kind of yep. thing. Like what what does the Christian dark web look like? What what's it gonna look like if if when we are all kicked off Facebook or say I record this podcast on Anchor and and suddenly Anchor they they, like do, they don't like it anymore and yep. so we're dropped from Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts or whatever. Are do we have the infrastructure for that world, that's not just falling apart, but is anti-Christ. Right. And so uh, I think so. Me as a minister, I'm thinking about what. what so I'm always going to have a, a job unless I disqualify myself, because right. there's always going to need to be people to preach the gospel to. Whether I'll be paid for that or not is yeah. who knows. I, I may not. So I'm I'm constantly thinking about what things can I do to build insurance for if that day comes when it's like okay. We still need to preach the gospel, but there's no way that, um, you know, we're in a place that's persecuted or there's no way I have a income from it. Yeah. So, well, I want to hear from you guys. Uh, let us know in the Facebook group. Uh, Jacob, what were you going to say? Oh, no, um, I was going to jump to the, the ending yeah, section right. here because um, he gives this analogy. It's, it's at the very end here. Um, he says this, a parting thought, if your household can retain its independence through moral virtue, like Noah and his house, your heirs may someday step into a world wiped clean. And, and as you, you sort of talk about the future, and as we sort of you know, wrap this whole thing together, yeah. you know, we're, what are we doing? We're wanting to build a house in a world that's falling apart. We have completely abandoned that mindset. So we want to build a house that's on God's word. Um, and, but what's coming? What's coming up? And we've talked a little bit about sort of the naivete of some of the American Christians who kind of think that things are business as usual. And, and while here's, <laughs> again, he, he, he's honest he's, and he's real about, you know, we're under judgment. We're a nation under judgment. We're a nation that's turned from God. And um, we're either going to have widespread revival or the flood. Yeah. And, and, and in certain ways, we'll probably have both. Mm-hmm. Right, it'll probably be revival through flood, and, and as we're thinking about, you know, just as as men um, who want to 
build something that is going to last. Yeah. Um, build an ark. Build an ark. Yeah. So it's it's a house. It's an ark. It's a covenant home. Yeah. Um, and I just thought I thought that was a really helpful sort of way to frame it as um, what are the stakes, right? What are the stakes here? We don't just want, we're not, why, and again, why are we building the house? We're not just building it to sort of pat ourselves on the back or to say like, oh, great, I'm a man. So, yeah. you know, well, no, like we, we want, what would have happened if Noah didn't get on the ark? Yeah. There'd be no us. There'd be yeah. no future. There'd be no to a thousand generations that yeah. came from him. Isn't that what we want? Yeah. How do we do what Westminster Shorter Catechism question one says? How, how do we glorify God and enjoy him forever? Well, we obey the law of God. We keep all of his commands. And in order to really do that, I mean, this, this is part of it. Yeah. This, is the, this is putting the flesh on the bones, so to speak, of, of what God has called us to be um, as men and as heads of the household. Uh, well, Jacob... This has been a fun yeah. book to read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I think I, this is the third time that I've been through it. This is one of those read once a year books because it's just so encouraging. And I hope um, if you've been following along that you've been encouraged by it. Um, I recommend, I would highly recommend to you guys to like share, uh, you know, write reviews of this book, share, share the podcast, do these things um, because we want to build. Uh, you know, we want to see other men thrive, and we believe we need a, a brotherhood, a network of guys to be doing this with, um, getting ideas from, and and that's part of you know the kingdom building. It's yeah. cool seeing like what the guys at uh, Cross Politic are doing. You guys now have this Fight Laugh Feast conference uh, coming yeah. up, and and I like I still remember when Gabe came to me a few years ago and told me about this idea he had for a show and mm -hmm. was asking for my help with it and you know in the in the early days how I mean they were just scrappy and yeah. like the things that God has done you know over time has gotten better mm -hmm. <laughs> and and is blessed and now it went from being just like this one show right to now a network with multiple shows to now a conference and mm -hmm. you know and Gabe was just Brother, on the on yeah. the news yeah. yeah and it's like you never know when God's just going to just yeah, make the thing explode, and we want to be building and, and preparing towards towards that end of you know being able to bless as many people as as possible. Yeah, it's a demonstration of really how you know we talked about friendship last week. How necessary it is for us to have brothers and sisters in the faith. Yeah, right. Like especially now of all times, we need these close connections with people who are going to push us in the right direction. And yeah. so, yeah, may the Lord do more of that. Yeah, I think one of the cool things, you know, we're here in Moscow. We, I didn't know when I moved here, whatever, four years ago, that this would become a kind of a new destination place for a lot of Christians. Uh, and in, in, in some ways, Moscow for a lot of people is a, sh is a shelter. Mm. And it, but it's not, just, um, it's not just the church itself, which is, yeah. which is certainly part of it, but it's that the church is constituted by a bunch of households men and women who have been trying to do these things yeah and they have the ability to help people move and do you know all along the the way there are people with you know fulfilling their christian vocation and that's like people want to work with other godly christians people want to work with people who genuinely excel and you know know how to rest and also know how to work really hard mm. i was just talking to a nathaniel ely so he's yeah. he's a, a deacon in our church, and he owns uh, 
Ely Construction, and I think he was trying to start like a business each year or something. I think he just started a roofing company and stuff. But uh, I was talking to him after church a couple weeks ago, and he's like, man, I, you know, it is really hard to find good laborers. And he's like, hey, if you know anyone, uh, you know, looking for a lead carpenter, and, you know, it pays 60, 70K benefits and so forth. And like, like, and I think he told me it took him, I think a whole year just to find who, uh, the guy who they hired as a lead carpenter and they need more of these yeah. people. They're just at, you know, they're booked out for the next year or something like that. So here's someone who's a deacon in our community working really hard. wasn't always like he was balling or anything yeah. like that, but they're bu- he's busy and he's employing mm. a bunch of people and it's like if you're if you're listening to this, if you know you know someone who's a lead carpenter, like yeah. this would be a great opportunity because, you know, who do I want to work with? I want to work with people I like. I, I want to work with people that I worship with yeah. on on Sunday that has a shared same values, and I think that's what we're wanting to to see more of. Yeah. And and the more of you know when you have a kind of high density of those people in one place, it's very attractive, and a lot of people are feeling like I'm the only one. Yeah. So whatever we can do to try to network, folks, we, we want to do that. Yeah, don't, I think don't cross politic after all the shenanigans with the array, the arrests, uh, which if you don't know about, um, uh, maybe don't Google it. I don't know. Um, but, um, you know, one of the things he said is the reason why I came here is because I wanted people who, when it was time to fight, would have my back. Yeah. And it's that, that same sort of thing. It's like, I love the brotherhood. And, and so. Yeah, fear God. All right, well, next we're going to be doing The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis. We'll probably take a little bit, of, little bit of a break here, so if there's no episode for the next couple weeks, don't freak out. But get that book, and uh, what do people need to do? Uh, if you're single, get married. If you're, oh, wait, sorry. That's, that's, uh, that's cross politic. Um, well, whatever people need to do this week, Aaron, they need to get that wisdom, they need to build that house. They need to build that house. Get Abolition of Man. Peace. Boom. <laughs>